0: The following is a presentation of the Force Center podcast feed.
4: From the
2: center of the galaxy, this is the Force Center podcast feed. I'm Ken Napsack. And I'm Joseph Scrimshaw, and this is our News and Cues episode. But we've got even more things than just News and Cues. We've got News, Cues, and Year in Reviews, Ken. <laughs>
4: I uh, I'm excited to look back. Am I really? Yeah, no, I am. I don't know. <laughs> it's a year. What a year! We're gonna review it at quite a Star Wars year. So yeah, that's coming. Some news. A little bit of news. A little bit of cues. And years of reviews. And uh, we'll just we'll just tease this now. The return of a familiar voice to the Four Center landscape. Jennifer Landa, check it in here in a bit. Before we get to all that exciting stuff, today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com/slash four center. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. And a little bit later, we'll have a Force Center recommends an audiobook we think you should try out on us. It will also allow you to help the show in the process. But that's not all, Joseph. We have more.
2: (laughs) That's right. That's not all. We also have another offer. Uh, This is from the uh, great publishing company Insight Editions, and they publish a ton of great Star Wars books, Secrets of the Jedi, The Lightsaber Collection, Galaxy's Edge Cookbook, all sorts of uh, different books like that, and they are offering 35% off across their website with a special Force Center code. This excludes collectibles, limited edition products, and already discounted uh, products, but there's still a ton of great Star Wars books that do not fall under those categories, and this offer lasts until Friday, January 8th at midnight Pacific time. You can get your discount uh, by entering the Code FC35, or visit the insight Editions website with this specific link: InsideEditions.com/slash/discount/slash/FC35. Again, that's InsideEditions.com/slash/discount/slash/FC35. So, if you did not get all the Star Wars books you wanted for the holidays, well, why not now? That's it, Ken. That's the Inside Editions uh <laughs> plug. Why not now?
4: Why not now? Get yourself gifts, which, quite frankly, is what I do all through the year. So at the end of the year, when people are like, "What what gifts do you want for the holidays?" I'm like, "I I don't worry about me. I got I got everything I wanted. To, you know, that's why I'm in debt. Uh, yes, but it's a great offer. And Joseph and I aren't just uh, telling you and 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 uh, being part of uh, this offer. We actually are customers too. We really enjoy the inside edition it and stuff. Uh, weather and sports coming up a little bit later here. Uh, as always, we like to uh, catch up with ourselves uh, and uh, just kind of check in on Star Wars and life adventures. Uh, holidays can be either really relaxing, stressful, all of the above. <laughs> Justin, how are you? How did your week go?
2: <laughs> good, good. It was a very relaxing uh, holiday. You know, I'm very lucky uh, to have a, a good life situation with my my wife, uh, Sarah. So we were able to relax a little bit, watch some different uh, holiday movies, um, and, you know, we have... Uh, tradition of we open presents on uh on christmas morning between ourselves and i think i mentioned before uh when the world is not experience a pan- experiencing a pandemic we uh have this tradition where we set aside a certain amount of cash a little cash in our hand and go to a mall and then we just we get all of our presents for one another that day and it's fun to have those limitations so this year we did the same thing but with the internet uh so it was really fun to see uh what presents in, in uh in that short amount of time, like I think we gave ourselves like only two hours on the internet <laughs> to be set loose. Uh, and I knew Star Wars, uh, I knew Sarah would get me a Star Wars something, uh, because she always did. And these Star Wars thing that she got me, uh, this year was the Mandalorian golden book. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, this is yeah. uh, strangely something that I wanted very, very badly. Uh, cause I, I saw it when I was, you know, scrolling through Amazon for other Star Wars stuff. Um, I love the little golden books, the way they have to just, you know, pour the story into this very, very distinct short uh, story. And I haven't even read it yet on Christmas morning. You know, a lot of emotions. uh, I opened the golden book. And and when I when I picked up the package, I was like, I I think it's golden book. I hope it's Mandalorian. (laughs) And I opened it up and the first the first page is just the Mandalorian was alone. (laughs) And I was like, I can't. I can't. Uh, I can't go through this emotional journey right now. I'm going to read this later. It's going to be great. It'll only take me 30 seconds to read. It's a golden book for children, but I'm happy to have it. Uh, so that was kind of my my Star Wars holiday adventure. And then I had a lovely conversation with my wife, where she's like, "You know, it's one thing when I could walk down the toy aisle and see action figures, but now there's so many different Star Wars action figures from the the retro to the vintage." And she's like, "I, you know." I don't even, you know, know what you might have scrolled off and got yourself. So if you want to go buy yourself some action figures on the Internet uh, for Christmas, go for it. Uh, so I'm going to do that still this weekend or this so week.
4: Your wife just said, here's a dollar. Go see a Star War. That's all.
2: That's <laughs> go buy a Star Wars." Yeah. So that's kind of my uh, holiday Star Wars adventures. How about you?
4: Uh, well, first of all, it'd be, I don't want to I don't want to ever create uh, extra work for your Force Center. You. Uh, just, <laughs> But, uh, I, I'm not, I'm not saying that I don't want to hear, uh, Joseph Scribshaw
2: reviews the golden book. <laughs>
4: <I'm not worried.
2: laughs> it's going to be I, two hours, extremely critical.
4: I think you would, uh, I think you would bring a great eye to, uh, the base level themes that they're presenting to children. That, uh, uh, Anyways, not to create work for you. Um, oh, yeah. uh, yeah. uh they're, not, they're not, the groundswell of, uh, demands from the fans. So, uh, <laughs> Uh, For me, hey, you know, first of all, I, I want to acknowledge everyone who was so kind in reaching out. Uh, you know, last week shared uh, the, the loss that uh, Grace had experienced of uh, of, our, of our little dog. That just was such a, a part of our lives. And we've all been there with uh, pet loss. It's pretty specific, uh, but loss of any kind, as I keep saying. Uh, there's a lot of loss this year. So we are not alone. Uh, So I appreciate all of you taking time from your tough year to reach out and tweet or some people in the discord just saying, Hey, heard the news and and, uh, condolences and everything that that kind of stuff helps and means a lot. And part of the positive force center community. So I wouldn't want to miss uh, an opportunity to say thank you to everyone. Um, Because of that, this week was, uh, you know, without a little blue Christmas, Joseph, uh, we had a little muted uh, Christmas. um, It doesn't mean we didn't have some good times and just kind of relax and uh, we're part of um, that, that holiday tradition of Lord of the Rings becomes something <laughs> we, we watch, but we also uh, watched uh, a lot of things, including um this is Spinal Tap, which is one of my <laughs> personal favorite things. Um I'm a big Christopher Guest fan and that kind of style of mockumentary, um, that kind of satire. But Grace had not only not seen it, um, God bless her in her and her age, um, had never really heard of it. Had oh, no heard. wow. So she's familiar with the uh, Christopher Guest movies because I uh, let her, uh, and she did Best in Show and everything she'd already been familiar with or knew they existed. But I've been doing the whole like, hey, hey, let's just watch Fred Willard clips over and over again. You want to see that? So we watched Spinal Tap, and it was a good experience because um, Grace is a singer, her sister's a singer songwriter, her dad is a great guitarist and just grew up just putting uh, classic rock music in front of them. Like uh, acoustic guitars piss Grace off. And I, I'm more, that's more my key. That's the key of my soul is acoustic guitars and a stool. Um, she needs electric guitars and a lot of loud noises. And so she loved Spinal Tap from that regard and just, uh, and, and was blown away that Chris, Christopher Guest, Harry Shearer, Michael McKean, uh, you know, wrote those songs or were playing those songs and, and uh, you know, along with some uh, musicians behind him there. So uh, it was a good, fun, uh, new Christmas tradition, maybe, of uh, uh, tapping into spinal tap. Uh, it was a
2: lot of fun. So no Star Wars in that, um, but a lot of fun. Yeah. I'm sure if we dive deep enough, we could. Figure out some specific connection. Right. Uh, but yeah, uh, th- there's a lot of uh, fear of loss uh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's great. That is so great. It, did uh, Spinal Tap is such a weird film because it is it's such great, timeless comedy, but it does then kind of morph and change over time. Like I first mm-hmm. saw it in 91 with a bunch of my buddies, many of whom were in. We were in a high school rock and roll band together. and the uh, in Metallica's album with the mostly black cover with the faint little snake in the corner had just come out, and yeah. uh, I kind of was like, I, uh, yeah, no, I like Metallica, but I also get the like, yeah, you you guys are getting a little on the older side to be like, you know, nobody understands us, our parents are mean, black darkness. And like, I was kind of getting okay with the comedy of that, but for like for some of my friends on that first viewing, it was a little bit like that uh mm. Shatner SNL sketch of like, get a life, like there had been. <laughs> sort of betrayed like yeah. wait wait that's what we actually like right now and you were making fun of it years earlier
4: yeah yeah no look for me uh, tap uh this will be spinal tap center for a second uh it, it, it's not only just uh my style a lot of not not i have different versions of my style of comedy but that kind of that kind of style uh, feeds my soul and um but it is as a as a rock fan and i know you are as well like who, who I, I watched the Bee Gees doc this week and and i love documentaries about bands spinal tap still is like the best documentary about a band in a lot of ways <laughs> like it's they're just they're not creating they're just rewriting right the the wheel of every rock band so there's a part of uh part of me when watching that like uh it's it's not even that it's funny it's just like mm-hmm, yep yep this is the tale of a rock band
2: yeah no i mean the lyrics are funny of all the songs but otherwise they're like solid songs marching through that period of history of rock and roll yeah
4: yeah 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 so uh yeah so we did that so that was good no no real star wars adventures other than uh started uh Started my journey, and I know you did too, into the High Republic Uh, at the time of this recording. uh, You and I are about the same Linked into the book Light of the Jedi by Charles Soule. And uh, man, Joseph, I don't know if we want to just tease early feelings, but I'm I'm so excited and love what I've read so far.
2: Yeah. uh, Yeah. The spoiler review for me so far is everything that I wanted and more. I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say, you know, Every time we talked about the High Republic, what I was excited about was the possibility of really diving into a lot of different perspectives from different Jedi. Who are they when everything is functioning well? They're not in lockstep and they have really different perspectives. And there's so much going on in the beginning of this book. But just that one thing that I really hope for in the High Republic is uh, is so rich of just detailed interesting ideas about unique jedi and, and I'm enjoying it so much so far
4: yeah it's been an uh, absolute thrill uh, very cinematic is what I keep kind of saying to myself alone when I'm reading uh i just uh, uh time didn't permit me to dive too much deeper into it uh like I said about a hundred or so pages in but I, I and i had no i was so excited eventually got to a real good uh, excited lather on this series that I think I started in it. Well, okay this sounds fun. I, I am just blown away how excited I, I, I am. And it's first book. It's the first pages. We get so much more content to come. So hopefully you can keep the feeling going. But I, I already want figures.
2: Right. Right. Yeah. yeah I mean, that it, it gets to the heart of why we like action figures because they are this encapsulation of, you know, making an idea manifest, making an idea you can hold in your hand. And there are already a couple of Jedi. I want to hold in my hand from yep. from this book. Yep. Absolutely.
4: So that's part of the look ahead in Star Wars. But now, Joseph, let's maybe take a peek back a a year in review. And look, we could not do this. Without our, our friend, our co-host, our uh, just a key member of Force Center, Jennifer Landa. Joseph, uh, you know, after the birth of her second Padawan, uh, she took a step back, but she's still in her heart. She's still part of the, the show here. All of our episodes and appearances are in our back catalog. Uh, happy beeps, all that stuff. Um, but, you know, we really uh, wanted to hear from her this time, Joseph. And uh, we get to. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, we want to be sure to reach out because there has been, you know, there's always Star Wars news for us uh, to be excited about, but this year in particular, right at the end of the year with uh, The Mandalorian, not only being, you know, the second season of this big show, but having so many different uh, kind of big ideas and characters attached to it. We really wanted to get Jennifer's take and unique perspective on The Mandalorian. And then that Disney Investor Day, which, you know, we've been talking about for years with Jennifer, uh, when she was able to be a regular co-host with us, and we were all you know, sitting around in person talking. Uh, we all talked about the kind of the hope for a day like the disney investor day where they said for the next few years here <laughs> is some of what you're going to get so we really wanted to hear jennifer's thoughts on both those things absolutely so up first is jennifer's look back at the mandalorian season two take it away jennifer
3: when i watched the first season of the mandalorian in 2019 it blew my mind baby yoda was one of the greatest kept secrets And for me, it will go down as one of the most memorable reveals in Star Wars history. I knew that that first season was going to be really tough to top. So Favreau and Filoni dug into their Star Wars toy box and pulled out some of the fans' most beloved characters to play with. Before I share my reaction, I will say that it seemed like the consensus online was that this season was a raging success. Many fans were saying that it was better than the sequel trilogy, and that this show was a way Star Wars should have come out the gate back in 2015. But I disagree. I really liked this season, but for some reason, it didn't quite hit me the same way that the first season did. And I'm not sure why. Could it be related to the fact that we're in a pandemic, and I haven't left the house in nine months? Maybe. Or maybe it's because I haven't slept more than three hours a night for the past 16 months. That could be it. Or perhaps it's because I watched every episode practically on mute so I didn't disturb my baby that I often fell asleep throughout the episodes. That could be it. Here's what I'll say. I watched the HBO series The Undoing in one week, and each episode left me wide awake with countless theories running through my brain. I don't want to be the embodiment of 2020, so let's talk about the good stuff first. I am amazed at how cinematic each episode looked. The Mandalorian is bringing the a Star Wars movie-like experience every week, and all I can think about is how this must be what George Lucas had in mind when he tried to get his Star Wars show produced many, many years ago. The acting is phenomenal. Timothy Olyphant as Cobb Vanth was a joy to watch, Bill Burr as Mayfield brought humor and a realness that fit well within this world. Those dark troopers were super scary and I loved it. Seeing Katie Sackhoff as Bo-Katan felt like the best kind of fan service. And when she, Sasha Banks, and ming Wen were on screen together, it was explosive. Pedro Pascal as Mando has made this show a success. I saw someone write that Pedro Pascal is suffering from severe back injury from carrying the entire Star Wars franchise. It made me chuckle, because it's kind of true. It's his performance as Din Djarin that is the glue that holds a Mandalorian together. And when we finally got that intense scene in the second to last episode with Mando without his helmet on, I cheered. And then I got sad. Because it made me think of how much we are missing by not seeing this character's face. Oh, the nuance, the subtle reactions. There's so much in the eyes that we're not getting. Which brings me to the bad. I felt like this season was a little bit more predictable. Each mission felt the same. And because the show is episodic, I found it difficult to get fully invested with a story. It was incredibly entertaining to watch, beautifully shot, and the music is trailblazing, but as the season progressed, I began to wonder what the show would feel like if it had a more complex ongoing plot. My feelings are mixed because the reason they're able to introduce all these weird new characters is because it's an anthology series. The format made it possible to feature characters like Cobb Vanth and Boba Fett, it did feel like the second half of the season began to have more of a continuous arc, but ultimately, the show is supposed to be a serial. This format, it really worked for me in the first season, but this season, I wanted to learn more about these characters and their relationships. I won't even go into how I feel about Ahsoka Tano. Ah, you guys, there's just so much to unpack with that, and Ken and Joseph have so generously given me the mic, and I don't want them to regret it and I won't get into the weeds about Frog Lady and her eggs being eaten, but it is interesting that a show that beautifully portrays a relationship between a child and a parent could treat a mother character without the same level of care. Okay, all right. It's not fair for me to nitpick. I know. You know, overall, this show was amazing. The second half of the season was great, in part because Pedro Pascal, Took his helmet off. <laughs> Just joking. No, it was because we had a core cast of characters on a mission together. It made it thrilling to watch, and I wanted to see how they deal with the skink and the scud pie. There is so much to love in The Mandalorian. And while I may be an armchair critic, this show has my heart. It is still everything I wanted Star Wars to be after watching Return of the Jedi as a kid. Look, if the Mandalorian could get me excited about the return of Boba Fett, I'd say this show is pretty magical. And I can't wait to see what Mando and the gang are up to next.
4: All right. Uh, there you go, Joseph. Uh, she She's pretty honest about time, commitment and, and feelings <laughs> and, and great joy. Uh, what do you think about uh, Jennifer's uh, take on Mandalorian season two?
2: Yeah, man. You know, it was just great to hear uh, Jennifer's perspective as a fan, as an individual, but also for for uh, I think for myself to always remember to take that step back of you and I are are have a life at the moment where we can watch an episode of The Mandalorian three, four times, <laughs> yeah. you know, freeze frame dig into each line and look at it from that perspective you know and it's so great to just remember in here that lots of people like jennifer are are like i have i love star wars with all my heart and i have time to watch it once and that is you know there are different ways to to receive star wars and i think you know things need to be effective when you watch them once and when you really dive into all the nooks and crannies so it's just great to uh, hear that uh mm-hmm. the the uh, honesty and the humor with which Jennifer <laughs> set the stage for remember this is how i'm seeing the mandalorian is just so great
4: yeah you, you and i so value jennifer's perspective and experiences so different than ours um there's some similarities in terms of generations uh, and how we view star wars but um, she just brings so much uh, different things to the table that we miss. We miss weekly and we know a lot of you do too, but I, I did love, and she handled it so great in a thread, but the the frog lady situation uh, uh, and just, I thought Jennifer's, you know, you and I both kind of love a lot of things about that and we're okay with things because, I don't know, maybe of course we would because we're, we're, we're comics, we're comedians, we're writers, we're men. You and I aren't given birth uh, anytime soon to eggs in a canister. Uh, but I really love Jennifer's perspective of just like, hey, uh, a little more care and nuance for uh, mothers in Star Wars is something she's always been talking about, and I'm I'm glad she mentioned that here this week.
2: Yeah, no, I I totally agree. Of the, I think the Frog Lady thing is complex and worthy of being looked at from lots of different perspectives. But I think a, a valuable perspective that Jennifer has shared uh, for years on Force Center is. You know, to not just look at something like Frog Lady as one episode of The Mandalorian and, you know, you know, parsing exactly what happens in the episode. And is it does the comedy and the drama work together and all those conversations we can have, but pulling back and just going in the grand scheme of Star Wars, father in child relationships have been extremely central. And then even when mother relationships sometimes should be, you know, raised to to, to a much higher level and be in the spotlight more, they're not. And that's just one of the things that we really need, I think, in Star Wars on screen is to spend some real quality time. You know, it was one of the things that we loved about Rise of Skywalker is centering Leia a little bit more as a maternal figure. But, you know, I think we need even more of that. And having Jennifer's always been a great uh, champion for that.
4: Yeah, and, and uh, for me personally, just a, a great reminder to sometimes uh, make sure I'm watching definitely Star Wars from my own eyes and my own journey and my own perspectives, but also make sure to uh, have a 360 view on it um, just to kind of, uh, you know, keep, keep the table wide open here. Something we try to do at Force Center. Um, she's going to touch upon it in a little bit, uh, but there's also, you know, that that name is Soka. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I appreciate her honesty on that too. Again, more to come here, but uh you know it's in there.
2: Yeah, yeah. In 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 terms of what really did uh, speak to Jennifer and work, I think I agree with her uh, very much about the power of Pedro Pascal's face, yes. <laughs> the power of his eyes. Um, he's a, you know he's a great phenomenal actor, and he does such a great job in season two of both times that we see him with the helmet all the way off that he looks like somebody who has always worn a helmet, just emotionally. I know people are like analyzing his eye movements and things like that. Um, But there is just a power to a guy who is is already has his emotions locked down and they're being exploded by the events he's going through, but also just feels totally nude without that mask on. Um, And I think, you know, one of the great things to me is the way I, interpret the end of season two of Mandalorian is he has made a choice to step away from that creed. And that was not a one time only uh, take the helmet off. I think we're going to get a lot more of Pedro Pascal's uh, face and evolving emotions in season three.
4: Yeah. And you and I, uh, we should address we will we, we, we'll be uh, maybe talking a little bit more, um, whether it's a Big deep dive or just a, a, a segment on a future show about the Disney gallery. This the look at season two, they approached it a little different this year with one kind of special, one kind of documentary at the time of this recording, I've been able to watch it. You've not been able to watch it. We want to address that, but we did see Pedro on set a lot and a lot more in season two. And, and, I'm glad Jennifer brought that up because not just his face, his presence. This is nothing. I want to make sure nothing against Latif Crowder and Brendan Wayne and anyone else who helped build the Mandalorian in season one and season two as a character. But it makes a big difference to have Pedro and, and his thoughts and his choices and his perspective and just his energy. Uh, and and I think that's why for me, looking back, a lot of the little moments in season two really resonated with me and perhaps more uh, than they did in season one. Uh, because uh, he he was able to embody the character a little bit more and a lot more, quite frankly. And he's just such a, uh, an amazing actor. I've been doing a Game of Thrones rewatch again and just uh, kind of got through season four. And I'm just, I never stopped being moved or blown away by what he brought to the character of Oprah Martel, uh, a book character that he just exploded on, into a next level. So I'm glad she pointed that out.
2: Pedro's face, we need more. <laughs> more pedro's face yeah and i think uh you know that's going to continue to be a discussion about the mandalorian we'll see how it goes we'll see where other uh disney plus shows go of there's there's lots of different approaches to star wars storytelling there is the more episodic there's the you know kind of i think mandalorian is is trying to be very minimal in its mm-hmm. in its dialogue it's a very tip of the iceberg uh storytelling of you know characters say exactly what they need to in in maybe hint at an emotion uh except for moff gideon but (laughs) uh, the the wikipedia page of star wars villains in a in a way i i still enjoy uh but i think this is one of the things that that makes me excited for all of the different projects announced by disney investor day if the only disney plus show if star wars television was mandalorian we'd kind of keep going back and forth of do we want a little bit more in-depth, uh, serialized, uh, you know, story where we are following uh, Mandel's adventures, you know, uh, not week by week, but he's going on one big adventure and we're going, you know, even deeper into the character. Or this mix that that the show is doing now where uh, in the last two seasons, there's big picture stories, but there are adventures of the week. And some episodes dive deep into emotions and some are just very minimal. Uh, and I think we... it. it I'm excited that that's a fun discussion to have now, but we're going to have so many other shows. That's not the only discussion.
4: That's not the only discussion. We are going to have other shows. And Jennifer is here again to talk about Disney Investor Day. Let's hear Jennifer's thoughts on that big day.
3: Can you hear that? That's me eating crow. I swore on this show that I could care less about a Boba Fett movie that I would rather see anything else other than a Boba Fett movie. I groaned, I ugh, at the mention of that Mandalorian crawling out of the Sarlacc pit and onto the big screen. But then, the new Mandalorian happened, and Tamora Morrison's performance showed me the depth that this character could have. And then when it was announced that Robert Rodriguez was involved, I thought I was hallucinating from lack of sleep. It's happened, trust me. Star Wars and Robert Rodriguez is the pairing I did not know I needed, but now it's all I want. Not only do I want a Boba Fett show now, but it's the thing I'm most excited about on the Twin Suns' horizon. Wait, no, I spoke too soon. Have you watched the Andor sizzle reel? O M G. I am amazed by the sheer scope of this show. So many extras, costumes, incredible sets that they are building. This series is going to have the look and feel of a Rogue One prequel. And with Diego Luna at the helm, who brings intensity, yet vulnerability. Oh my gosh, creature guru. Neil Scanlon is in his workshop like a freaking Santa, like a Star Wars Santa Claus. We are getting a Star Wars smorgasbord with all this new content. What I like about The Book of Boba Fett and Andor is that we're getting a deep dive into these characters. These shows are character studies and there is nothing that I love more. These shows are the kinds of series that I initially wanted the Star Wars standalone films to be. I thought Solo really delivered on its origin story. So I'm glad that Disney Plus is becoming the place for Lucasfilm to tell these kinds of stories. Let's talk about some of the other projects in the work, shall we? Rangers of the New Republic sounds interesting, but I'm hoping it will be more of an ensemble piece. Cara Dune is a great character, but Gina Carano has shared some problematic views online that makes it difficult for me to separate the actor from the role. It would just be weird not to feature her in the show, considering she's a new Republic Marshal. But if it's an ensemble show, you know, it'll be easier for me to maybe get on board with this one. Ahsoka. Oh, Ahsoka. I am a fan of Rosario Dawson's work. She's currently embroiled in a lawsuit that, you know, if it's true what the person is um claiming that she did... It would just it would make me impossible f- to overlook it. You know, and want to tune into this show. Now, that being said, I love the character of Ahsoka. I also love Ashley Eckstein's portrayal of Ahsoka. She is such a beloved character, both the actress and the animated persona. That I had a really tough time with Rosario Dawson's portrayal as a Togruta. There is something that Ashley brings to the character of Ahsoka that I felt was missing in Rosario's performance. I liked that Rosario gave Ahsoka a toughness and an edge to her. It it makes sense, you know, for the character. But I felt like there was just that little, and I'm, uh, you can't see me, but I'm like putting my fingers together, just a little magic, a little bit of magic was missing and it's not fair. Because as a fan of the Clone Wars, I will forever associate the character with the animated voice. But I'm hoping that the Ahsoka live-action series will change my mind and make me not compare the actors. It is possible. Look at Alden Ehrenreich. I never thought he'd be able to fill Harrison Ford's shoes, but he showed that he didn't have to. He took the essence of the character and he made it his own Han Solo. All this being said, Dave Filoni is the showrunner of Ahsoka, so I know it's going to be good. The character of Ahsoka has been close to his heart, so obviously the show will be too. When I heard Hayden Christensen would make an appearance as Darth Vader in the Obi-Wan Kenobi series, I was like, eh, (laughs) alright. I don't know why, but you know, maybe when you have all this other Star Wars content, not everything is going to shake you to your core. You know, speaking of, eh, I would love to watch The Bad Batch, but I just don't have the time. When I watched The Sizzle Reel, I just, I felt old and I felt so far behind in my Star Wars experience. I never really watched Rebels. I've heard wonderful things. I didn't watch Star Wars Resistance, you know, and that's okay. I'm at the point in my fandom where I can recognize that not everything Star Wars is going to be must-see TV for me. It would be fun if my daughter got into it, but, you know, she's a little young. Because the truth is, I only get one hour of TV a night. It's like I'm a child. I get one hour of TV a night if I'm lucky. So would I rather watch a new episode of The Book of Boba Fett or an episode of The Bad Batch? These are the kinds of decisions that the adult Jennifer has to make. These are tough decisions. Okay, I'm running out of time, so I'll quickly address the rest. Lando, love it. If it's Donald Glover, Donning the Cape, we're in good hands. I've been a fan of Justin Simeon's work and his podcast. It's really, really good. So I think he and Donald Glover could create something really special. While I want the Mandalorian to move away from his episodic roots, I'd love to see the Lando series actually lean into that. Every episode, Lando could have a different adventure, you know, a different rendezvous with a droid. It could be so fun. I'm not going to even go into The Acolyte because I haven't had the time to research. And I haven't watched Russian Doll. It's also um, in my queue. But, you know, I hear it's really good. If we could get Natasha Leone in space? Oh, well, I'm all in on that. Lastly, Rogue Squadron. I was not excited when i read this announcement i mean i always liked the rogue squadron video game back in the day it was it nintendo 64 ah, but i always had a hard time getting into the x-wing book series i really had a hard time with it i tried many many times but then i saw director patty jenkins pitch for why she's directing this new star wars film and now i am on board Jenkins posted a video of herself talking about her father, who was a pilot. He lost his life in service. And because of that tragedy, she has always wanted to make the greatest fighter pilot movie of all time, basically to honor her father. I'm getting emotional just just talking about it. You know, she showed so much passion and thoughtfulness in her video that it just made me say, "Okay, all right, you know, this Rogue Squadron movie is going to be so good because she's bringing her life to this movie. She's bringing her life story, her history. Uh, and because of that, I think the Star Wars film is going to have a totally different energy and tone than the other Star Wars films we've gotten in the past. And I can't wait. It always feels a little weird to get excited about Disney Investor Day. It makes the relationship between Star Wars and its fans feels so transactional and businesslike. I'm not naive. I know that's how us fans are seen, not just with Star Wars, but you know, all these properties, the way that they talk about the fans, the fans, well, you know, we are consumers and Disney is hoping that we will buy whatever they're selling. But then when they start showing the behind the scenes featurettes, and I see the creators, the actors, the sculptors, the costume designers behind these Star Wars stories, I remember that these films and shows are more than just content. They offer a wonderful escape from our cruel world. They remind us the importance of having hope during dark times. They are fantastical, whimsical, mystical, and magical. And it's why I personally... Can never have too much Star Wars.
4: All right, there you go. That's a big look because there's a lot of shows. Joseph, the first thing, <laughs> the first thing I got to talk about. I was listening to this uh, when she uh, sent the files across to us. I was making some breakfast, having a you know cup of coffee, getting ready. And I get to her uh, reaction to Hayden Christensen and, and I almost spit out my coffee. I just was laughing so much in a good way. In a good way. I, I I understand it. I understand it. So uh, where do you want to dive in on Jennifer's thoughts on the, all the stuff that came on Disney Investor Day?
2: Is uh, so many great thoughts. Uh, I love the uh, the honesty. I love the uh, perspective that I think Jennifer is really communicating of um, we don't not all of us have time for all Star Wars and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, And just uh, highlighting how much that this, again, what I was saying about Disney Investor Day is I think this is what's great about what is coming down the line is, hey, if there's a Star Wars that comes out and it's not for you, (laughs) wait six months and there'll be another one that might be more up your alley. And I love that Jennifer is highlighting. These are the ones that I'm excited about. These are the ones I might not be able to make time for. These are the ones that I'm on the fence about, but we'll see. And I think that's just such a, great approach we don't all have to be excited for every star wars um yeah. and then just on a personal note uh having gone through this journey with jennifer over the years when i was emailing her uh to to set the, up these recordings uh it, she emailed back uh already you know before i even heard these that she's like i'm thrilled about boba fett and i i literally alone in my home pump my fist <laughs> Because I've been excited about Boba Fett for years and Jennifer's been like, I don't know. You know, she's, she's definitely been one of those people who, you know, didn't didn't really catch the Boba Fett fever uh, back in the day. And I'm just it just made me so happy that, you know, yeah, exactly what she said. Once they got to more Morrison in there, once the, you know, writers and the directors and the actors uh, started in a stunt coordinator, started to dig in and make uh, a character out of the mystique. Then she's excited. I was, uh, that was just a great moment of Star Wars nerdery where my my Star Wars buddy, Jennifer Lando, was also excited for Boba Fett.
4: <laughs> yeah, it, hey, it shows that uh, y- you could change. Your, your thoughts and your opinions uh, don't hold on to them so dearly, meaning like, hey, allow yourself to grow as a fan or allow them to surprise you as a fan. I I guess I'd say I'm the fen- on the fence sometimes about Boba Fett. Like, I get it. I, I got it. And then I did want more. And then then you get what you get. And you're like, oh, all right. And then, you know, Robert Rodriguez, he's just kind of won me over even a little bit more about his passion for the character. So I'm with Jennifer on that there. And regarding the, what she said about, you know, just having time and and Jennifer's admitted now, like, hey, I got about an hour a day, maybe, <laughs> maybe to sit down with anything, not just Star Wars, anything. So, uh, there, you know, that's why it's harder uh, to further record four center stuff. uh, And that's part of uh, what's been going on just so, so the fans are aware, but uh, for her to be like, I saw the bad batch thing and I'm, I would love to, I can't, (laughs) (laughs) I think that's very real. And, and then uh, we, we always talk about that buffet and you and I love uh, all the things the buffet are offering. We're very fortunate to be in a position where, you know, that's, Kind of what I get to do sometimes. I get to go. Uh, hey, Grace, uh, I am gonna go in my room and work on Star Wars. You know, uh, <laughs> London as a fan first, and uh, and and make it part of our weekly work routine. You and I are just very fortunate, but um, and Jennifer uh, at various points in life has been in that position too. But for her to just be like, "Got it, I can't be there for you. Have fun, Bad Batch. Have fun." <laughs> I thought it was again very honest.
2: Yeah, no, and I think that I think it is a reminder that we all have different, you know, time constrictions in our lives. And you, you are a huge star Wars fan. If you love any part of star Wars and if you don't have time for one part and you want to know what's going on read Wikipedia and like, okay, that's what happened in bad batch. Great. <laughs> I'm, I'm caught up. Uh, and I also just think, uh, try not to, uh, to, you know, yell at the clouds is, uh, is people with gray in our beard as much, but, yeah. I remember the experience of seeing a Star Trek film or a James Bond film or any number of uh, different kind of genre things I liked in the theater and went, well, I like that part of it, but I didn't like uh, that other part of it. Maybe in several years from now, I will like the next one more. And what a great time we're in where there's so much Star Wars coming and you can just go, that one's for me. That one's not for me. Great. What's next?
4: What's next? What's next? All right. So the beginning of this, you know, she she admitted to eating a little crow in the Boba Fett thing. I don't want to serve anyone crow that they don't deserve to eat. I don't want to. Ha- I don't want to come from that point of view of, uh, in life, not just Star Wars, where I want to be like, ha ha, you're wrong. But I, I, you know, I'm very curious to check back in after Kenobi to see what Jennifer thinks about Hayden, Anakin, <laughs> and and him being back.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and uh, and see if it if it speaks to her or not. Yeah,
4: and you know what? It might not. And that is okay. Uh, crow is a dish best served rubbery and feathery, I think. I <laughs> um, so uh, unless you have any other uh, thoughts, uh, you have anything left, uh, a reaction to Jennifer's uh,
2: reaction? Uh, no, my, I think my only other thought is uh, sharing uh, her, her Cassian and or excitement oh, um, and we're going to be able to talk about that because that's one of our uh, news features. But it's yep. ju- it's just great to be able to uh, hear from Jennifer. It's great that she had uh, this time to share her thoughts and, you know, I, I totally understand uh, everything going on in her life and that whole pandemic thing. Uh, <laughs> we, we look forward whenever we can to get her perspective and just always a reminder of how much, you know, in our years of, of sitting in person doing these podcasts together and discussing back and forth on the air. Are we excited about Boba Fett? Are we excited about Rogue One? What do we think about this and all that? How much uh, she uh, changed my perception of Star Wars and I'm really grateful for it.
4: Yeah, and we understand too, uh, we have um, over the years, last couple of years uh, gotten some new listeners or, you know, even with Mandalorian, some new ears come swinging through. Some of you might not be super familiar with Jennifer here in Force Center. Maybe you know her from a YouTube channel and TikTok videos or something going on right now. That's Jennifer. We just adore. Her. She's such a key part of this team. And you can go back, like I said, and check out her back catalog of happy beeps episodes, which look, I listen uh, to our, our shows a little bit. I, I listened to star Wars counseling. Uh, when I had my old daily job where I'd go into work, it was, it was, it was a joy to put on, you know, Joseph, your show and, this stuff, But I got to say, uh, due respect to you and me, <laughs> Happy Beeps is the only thing on this network that I would listen to a few times. Um, Jennifer's so good and made me just want to be a better broadcaster. And uh, if you guys haven't listened to go back and listen to the episodes. And by the way, sometimes we know we have there's some still broken episode links in our catalog because of uh, just an error that happened when we switched servers. I try to correct those when I can. Uh, let, let me know if you go and click on a Jennifer Landa happy beeps and it, and it cuts off or something like that. Jennifer actually put a lot of time in. I reached out to her and she helped me repair a lot of those old audio files. But if one slips in, let me know because I want you all to experience the glory that is Jennifer Landa's takes on Star Wars. All right, Joseph, you mentioned it, but let's dive into the news. Not a ton, uh, I, which. You'd expect in uh, this holiday week, but a couple of things we want to discuss here. The first one up is uh, this uh, kind of headline. And, and again, a shout out to the fine folks at Star Wars Newsnet. They always do a great job collecting the stories. They got a great podcast themselves, the Resistance Broadcast. Check it out. Uh, I want to shout out to them because uh, in this type of week where you're not getting the big headlines, it's great to go to a great news source and just kind of look out in the galaxy and see what's there. And they highlight- highlighted this story about Rain Roberts being more in the spotlight. Uh, this comes from, I think, initially a Reddit thing, uh, the Star Wars Leaks Reddit. I don't really spend time on Reddit, gray in my beard and whatnot. Um, but this idea that Rain Roberts, who is the Lucasfilm VP of film development and has been a story group member now uh, for a bit, is quote uh, qu- uh, co-developing The Acolyte with Leslie Headland and then working on a future slate of movies. Future slate of movies, not too surprising for me. Nor is the developing the acolyte, Joseph, but uh, I I I really enjoyed that news and I want to get your thoughts on that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Now, what I think this came from is the, her, her, uh, bio on hmm. actual, you know, Lucasfilm or star Wars.com. I, I can't remember which was updated with this information. And I think somebody on Reddit pointed it out. So, you know, this is not uh, random, uh, <laughs> Reddit theories. This is just somebody on Reddit noticed that something was legitimately updated on a legitimate website. This was really fun for me because I don't, uh, you know, go, uh, diving into who, who's on the story group, uh, all that often, you know, some people like Matt Martin has a, has a, you know, really great, really public, uh, Twitter presence. Uh, so, you know, Matt is really, very, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm aware, I'm aware of Matt's thoughts, uh, in a good way, in a good way, uh, on Twitter. Uh, so that was fun for me to just look into Rain Roberts. And there was a couple things in here that was really great for me. Um, big picture, just co-developing the acolyte of Leslie Headland is clearly from interviews that we've seen somebody who knows Star Wars, loves Star Wars. But I like this approach that seems to be developing of Lucasfilm wanting to bring in new voices. So you get that new of like, what do you love in Star Wars? What angle, what, what has never been done you want to do? But then having somebody who is, you know, in the story group is invested in the whole history of Star Wars to give that perspective of the old too, which I think that's just kind of a necessary ingredient. So mm-hmm. co-developing the Acolyte uh, makes perfect sense to me. And then just from some of the stuff I, I looked up about uh, Rain Roberts, she is a filmmaker herself. She uh, made a, a short film called It's Snowing Outside uh, that was winning some awards. Um, and then there's a great little interview I found with her, uh, a spotlight interview, I, I believe, on the Lucasfilm website as well, where she talked about, loving the themes of family talking about watching wizard of Oz a lot when she grew up and also really loving Indiana Jones and watching that constantly uh, when she grew up and that she had a particular passion for quest stories and that made me really interested in not only uh, what ideas is she highlighting as as she was helping you know uh, give notes on all the films that have already come out from Disney Lucasfilm but like Leslie Headland's so focused on that in that great YouTube interview we saw where her pitch was sort of like, it's a it's an adventure and they have to go from planet to planet. And it's that kind of map hopping Indiana Jones vibe. So that was an interesting uh, crossing of the uh, overlap of the Venn diagram between uh, interests of uh, Rain Roberts and Leslie Headland. That makes me even more excited for the Acolyte. That, sir. Is some
4: great information. I'm going to give you a well said and hand clap. <laughs> I, I had not uh, seen that interview. That gets me excited. That really gets me excited. I got to tell you, just a syncing up of ideas. And look, she's a uh, she's had her hand in development of every single Star Wars movie so far, but. You know, to what degree, you don't know. And without a doubt, J.J. Abrams is a I'm going to go to Santa Monica, and make my movie for better or worse. Uh, Ryan, uh, even though he worked hand in hand with uh, a lot of Lucasfilm people, it's still his movie. There's that kind of stuff to have her kind of slide forward a little bit on that show and to maybe just uh, be in sync with Leslie Hedlund over uh, some of the things that excite them about Star Wars. That's that's some really great. Great ideas there, great stuff. I, I'm really glad you pulled that information. And and look, uh, you and I, the, no, without a doubt, there is this. Um, I don't know how to describe it, especially this week. That you know, the 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 makers of Star Wars behind the scenes has always been a thing. You and I know, and everyone knows. Joe Johnston, Phil Tippett, and Gary Kurtz, all those names are just part of the Star Wars story. Uh, yeah, uh, the story group and and everything that popped up. It, it the job is never what people really think it is in general. I think a lot of listeners might know exactly you know they're there to keep tabs i had one someone would say like the story group's job is to make sure cereal boxes look okay like you know which is, yeah, a small version of it they do a lot the comics galaxy's edge all those kind of things but they don't sit there and go here's what the stories are going to be that was never never what it was supposed to be so there's a weird obsession with the group without a doubt and sometimes it's fun and sometimes it can be annoying, and sometimes it, it's it's part, uh, a sport, uh, part a uh, part of a part of a controversy or something like that in in the space. Rain Roberts to me is someone who's always been there. I consider her kind of a secret weapon along with Carrie Beck. Uh, and uh, I think Rain's I haven't checked, but I think she's on Twitter, just quietly in her corner, <laughs> <laughs> just doing her job, just doing her thing. I almost don't, I like I said I almost don't want to highlight it. Like let her be, let her do amazing work. So it's without a doubt interesting, but this is to me. Good news of someone kind of uh, stepping forward and more into the spotlight and more into a position of influence over the stories we're about to take in, you know? Yeah,
2: yeah. And this uh, I pull it up. It is Lucasfilm. And if you just Google Spotlight Rain Roberts, it's a real short interview. Uh, it looks like is uh, yeah, May uh, 5th, uh, 2018. Uh, you know, she's on the story group, and I think you're right. I think sometimes people uh, uh, picture the story group like a Jedi Council sitting in chairs and, mm. <laughs> uh, you know, Padawans come before them and thumbs up, thumbs down, you know, and I, I don't, you know, that's not, Yeah, I, I don't think it's, it, I think it is a complex, nuanced thing to, you know, say, hey, I know you're developing the film and it's got this element of family. Here's how we've talked about family before in Star Wars. What if you highlighted this element? What if you decreased this element? Like it's, it's just, you know, creative discussion. Uh, but the other great thing in this article is she's not just on the story group. She's a senior vice president of yeah. development. Um, so it is, it is her job to give thoughts on shaping stories. There's a great description of of her typical day. So if you're the kind of fan who likes to know what's going on behind the scenes, And you're wondering, you know, what does she actually do? She's got a paragraph where she actually tells you literally what she does. And it's great.
4: Check it out. So more information. And I can't wait for more uh, details on the Acolyte. Uh, It's uh, becoming more and more uh, something I'm looking to. But a series I am looking forward to. Jennifer mentioned it as well. You mentioned it is Andor. And Diego Luna, who, of course, as we know, plays Cassian Andor, uh, had a, a little something to say on The Layers and the production of the series in an interview with The Hollywood Reporter. Of course, as often, uh, these uh, Star Wars uh, folks sit down to discuss something else. And, of course, it's always going to turn to Star Wars. So. <laughs> Uh, check out the link if you want to talk. Uh, get hear him talking more about his other projects and stuff that he's currently working on that's coming out before Andor, but he is um, currently shooting Andor as we saw that behind the scenes featurette. So here's some of the things uh, and we can discuss. Joseph uh, Luna said the style of shooting is more traditional and said it reminded him of making Rogue One, and uh, talked about how the 12 episode format will allow them to explore the layers of the story and characters citing the sacrifice of the rebel informant tivik he didn't say tivik's name though and a name i wish i said in a trivia contest at one point <laughs> uh he uh, cited that as something uh, that they can go behind and says it feels like we're doing a long movie so uh, on some hand i'd say joseph none of that's new things to us but it's a good comforting reassurance
2: yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I think bringing in the murder of Tivik, I think that is such an important moment in Rogue One and it just it really it establishes Cassian quickly of he has to make desperate last minute choices that are morally upsetting to him because he is he is willing to do anything for the bigger picture cause and I think just the more confirmation that that is what the show is is wrestling is this character who knows that the big picture morality of taking down the empire is absolutely necessary. But what does this poor person go through in pursuit of that? Great. Yeah. Yeah. Great indeed. And
4: I got to say that I'm going to say this carefully. Okay. I'm going to say this carefully. Um, I want to get your thoughts here on shooting a a non volume type of show, uh, at least mostly. Um, We know the volumes is great tech. They're building two or three more studios around the world and and they should be proud of it. I think the Mandalorian is a great technological achievement and it's only going to get better and better. I say that time and time again because sometimes, I don't know, I poke at it a little bit. I think that's only because I I grew up original trilogy kid. I grew up a a different era of filmmaking, but I, I think it's gotten better. We all know the Phantom Menace had the most practical models in it. So I think you all know where I'm going with that. I, for whatever reason, Joseph, I'm just like, yes, please. I'm glad this is shot on location or bigger sets and has maybe more, just a grander feel to it where sometimes Mandalorian, for me, uh, it feels like it was shot on a VR stage. I'm being very general. Uh, I don't want to sound too down on it. But for me, that makes me more excited.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the volume seems to work really well uh, particularly in season one of mandalorian again i agree with you i think season two gets more advanced and harder to tell what is what uh but it works really well when you're in kind of an open environment and you need to see that horizon you know and it is it's you know real photography but it's put in this you know weird volume space i wonder if for cassian and or there is just budget stuff going on that you know Favreau is like oh great yeah I've been developing this tech I want to try it out I know you can't spend that much money on Mandalorian because what if just nobody signs up for Disney plus it's a big swing so let me do I've got this creative way that I'm really you know uh, creatively and technologically invested in proving I can do this great now there's a little bit more success there's a little bit more budget maybe for Cassian Andor but I also think it might be creatively driven because Mm -hmm. the volume really does for me seem to work well for big open skies are showing more environment behind somebody. And just from the little sets we saw in that sizzle reel and just the nature of what Cassian and is, if it is a gritty spy movie, I would imagine you're dealing with lots of tight, confined spaces full of shadows and mm. you really need those to be real. Like it seems like Mandalorian, you know, when they need a hallway, they build a hallway. <laughs>
4: yeah.
2: And uh, I think Cassian and I'm sure is going to have some, big amazing shots of uh you know cityscapes and in it you know uh natural environments but i think a lot of it is going to be slinking around mm-hmm. in the dark and mm-hmm. in confined spaces and you need sets for that and i wonder if that's a part of it
4: yeah and look the budget uh not season 1 did not have the budget it wanted season 2 probably had a little more but you know it, as as uh, there's that part in the riot and the the director and the jedi the last jedi documentary uh, whether it's talking, I think Ron Bergman or might even be someone else. I can't remember. Uh, uh, um, is just talking about the budget of the last Jedi and like, Hey, it's a, it's a big box, but it's still a box. We still have concerns. We still have choices to make. So the volume a lot of what happened in season one, particularly Mandalorian absolutely had something to do with budgets and, and man, uh, and or probably has those limitations as well. But it, 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 I want to give credit to the, you know, that shot of, of, uh Dinjar and looking out into the sun, uh, in uh, chapter uh, 11, uh, you know, in the, you know, across the ocean as the sun sets and, uh, and, and Katie Sackhoff and everyone blow up the boat. Like, uh, beautiful stuff. Beautiful. Yeah. Stuff. Um, but even they felt at times they needed to go out to, uh, Simi Valley off the 118 freeway for some big, bigger kind of things. And it's just, it's just a personal preference makes me excited doesn't necessarily mean the story's going to be better or great i mean you, you could have all the money in the world and all the great locations and sets you still got to get it right and i trust they'll get it right because of what uh what
2: the approach is so yeah that's my, and i I believe I believe they said something about, you know, I believe in that Disney Investor Day presentation, Kathleen Kennedy said that they had built more volumes. And I, I think there is some stuff that is in a volume in mm-hmm. London. I think it just sounds like there's more practical sets as well. Yeah. yeah. And again,
4: I, I, I was uh, made foolish by the Disney Gallery season one look where I was like, oh, my God, that was the volume. Uh, so I think everyone... I'm, I'm over apologizing, but, uh, uh you know, how Hickel, don't get mad at me. Um, <laughs> I just excited about, uh, I'm excited about Andor. I'm so excited about Andor. And yeah, you know, I'm, I, I want Crix Maydean to show up. All right. That's one of
2: my- <laughs> Crix Maydean would be great. I do think one thing, because we haven't had, you know, as much time to talk about Andor, because that sizzle reel came out with that Disney investor day, which was like, you know, all, mm-hmm. so much information. Um, the sizzle reel looks great, but I just I don't think that uh, any fans should sleep on their excitement about uh, Mon Mothma, right? Just yes. the fact that she's there is, you know, not not only this great real life story with Genevieve o- O'Reilly, uh, but you know, getting to spend more time with that character and knowing that Mon Mothma is a character who is going to be half having to make hard choices about what the rebellion is, but then Cassian's the one who has to go and do it and go execute those things uh, that could be some really interesting espionage and, and moral Star Wars storytelling.
4: Yeah. You know what? I, I don't want to extend our show too long today. I, I almost think seriously, it's not a, it's not a joke or a, or a, you know, um, uh, Hey, everyone gets a Star Wars story kind of observation, but Mothma, the series at any point could have been something that could have done to me because that's such a fantastic character. That's The depth of that character goes back to even the Return of the Jedi novel. You, I've said before, I'll say it again, go back and read that novel, the description of Mothma. You look at it and go, oh, this is the plot of Rebels. <laughs> Got it. Got it. Dave, Dave draw, drew upon this a lot. For Rebels, just the description of Mothma as a character. And for Genevieve O'Reilly, like you said, to come back from cut scenes in the, in the, the prequels Revenge of the Sith and get to play this character. I, I almost don't want to build up expectations that she's a main player in this show, but I feel as though she should and, and, and hope, and I agree with you on that There, So great, great pull of uh, recognizing Mothma.
2: Excellent. I'm happy to uh, discuss Andor more. I'm so excited about this one.
4: So excited indeed. Hey, let's get to our Force Center recommends an audio book we think you should try out on us. This one kind of sets up what we're talking about on Thursday, Joseph.
2: That is right. We are recommending the book, The Legends of Luke Skywalker. Uh, this is an interesting book, Ken, that you and I love some stories from and are challenged by other stories. But it's a great Star Wars uh, book because it's all point of view. It's all what people think they saw or think they know of Luke Skywalker. And that really does dovetail into the episode we're going to do on Thursday, which is looking, uh, taking a close look at all the ins and outs of luke skywalker's appearance at the end of season two of mandalorian so that is what we're recommending to look at some legends rather listen to some legends of luke skywalker
4: and listen indeed download your free audiobook today at audibletrial.com slash force again that's audibletrial.com slash force for your free audiobook it's that time where we take a break reset and return with your questions here on force Welcome back to Four Center, my Four Center friends. We've looked at the news. Now we got some great questions, as always, from you out there in the Four Center family. Joseph, what do we have?
2: That's right. We got two questions, uh, or rather, two questions from Twitter, two questions from Patreon, for a total of four questions. I can still do math. Let's go to our first question from Twitter. It comes from Lanky S Daw. Uh, Lanky says, do you think there is any chance that they will at some point redeem old man Sheev? Or is the pure evil absolutely necessary for Star Wars? Thanks, and may the force be with you. May the force be with you, Lanky. Ken, what do you think about that, about uh, the possibility of redemption for Sheev? Uh, Right now, Sheev uh, uh, appears to be uh, dust in the Exegol wind. (laughs) Uh, But this is such a great overall question about Was that ever a possibility uh, for Sheev or is he just simply evil incarnate? Where do you land on that?
4: I wrote, I wrote my notes. No. And then I I did a paragraph. Um, Look, I think we may one day get a reason for his fall, a young Palpatine series uh, and on its own and and, you know, whatever, if if something pops up in the Acolyte, so be it. But I'm not anticipating that. Um, and, and, And if we may get a reason, it might come from a real place might garner some sympathy or maybe just some understanding but to me you have to land on the end result is that he just he went down this path and it is evil and i do think the story kind of needs that at least from him i'm not saying again it it would be compelling give give me a hiddleston as young palpatine i'm all there (laughs) for all those kind of thoughts and speculations over the years i just don't and you and I love Palpatine. You and I have talked about it. We love him in, 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 in what he brings and what McDermott brings. Uh, Vaudevillian type of villain. I think it's needed. I just don't ever want there to be too much room for, oh, poor Sheev, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, no, I think so. I think that makes perfect sense. I think he is uh, the absolute uh, epitome of evil in Star Wars. But I think evil in Star Wars is not just this natural, State right. I don't think. I don't think she was born evil. I don't think anybody in Star Wars is born evil. I think that is, to me, the the heart of the morality of Star Wars is that something happened to Sheev that opened him to fear, that opened him to anger. Uh, I think something happens to all of us (laughs) that opens us to fear and anger on on almost daily basis. And I think that the great story of the dark side is he gave into that and he just never questioned it never tried to turn back from it uh, had no hope no compassion just shut off all those things and he made this uh, choice and i think there is there's this distinction of you know of how we talk about evil in storytelling um, you know and sometimes it's just it, there's there are good wizards and evil wizards or you know all that kind of stuff and you know functionally when you watch the star wars movies palpatine is Yeah, can't be turned back, never has any doubt that uh, fear and anger and control are the right way. And anybody who uh, thinks compassion is a strength is a naive uh, fool who doesn't understand the truth of the Mm -hmm. galaxy, that it's all just uh, chaos and violence. And the only reasonable thing to do is to make sure that you are the one who's winning that constant battle. Um, Mm -hmm. But he just he chooses that philosophy. And therefore, you know, sometimes when we're talking, I, you know, I'll describe actions of the, uh, of, of Palpatine, whether through the Clone Wars or, you know, what the Empire is doing is evil actions. But I think he is, like all of our, our characters in Star Wars, a being who made a choice. And I would be open to that storytelling, depending on how and when and all that of what was it that, that broke him? What was it that opened up that, that fear uh that made him fall and i think we talked about it a little bit um i I think when we're talking about uh in one of the scene by scene episodes when when we're Mm -hmm. talking about his box of manipulations of anakin um there does seem to be this this real that his fear is a loss of power or a loss of control Mm -hmm. and everything that he does the, the sith are all about power and control obviously but You know, when he wears the mask of the politician and where he, you know, sheds the mask and is just like, I am a (laughs) wrinkled, uh, you know, old uh, wizard. Uh, It's always about how can I have unlimited power, you know, and even the way he delights in the death of Plagueis, you know, Mm -hmm. is that Plagueis was uh, such a fool as to drop his guard and, and lose his power. Uh, I'd be really intrigued by that I don't ever want it to be the story of like uh, that boy was born and he wasn't right you know yeah. <laughs> I want it to be he could have made a different choice and he didn't in the galaxy suffered because of it
4: yeah yeah look there's nuance to be had and there's nuance in his story but I just love this idea of him looking into the flames and seeing the galaxy and being I want it all and I can't have it if I can't have it I want to destroy it and I can't let go of this quest and I can't let go of my own existence here because I just want power that's the ultimate goal unlimited power that should be the title of the series if we're going to get it so yeah I'm with you on that and, and he's intriguing he should be analyzed he should be looked at and part of this part of my answer is a little uh, you know uh, looking out at the fandom and going I just don't want a lot of see he was just misunderstood
2: no i totally understand where you're coming from and i think understanding why somebody made a bad choice does not make it okay that they made a bad choice <laughs> i think you know I, I i'm big i think on this in the story of star wars and in often in real life of i it's it is great to have empathy and understanding for why you chose an action mm-hmm. but then also say but but that action is unacceptable <laughs> because it hurts other people and I and I'd be very happy if that was a story of Palpatine where you can see uh oh why you made those choices it does not make those choices okay he's not you know a yeah. misunderstood you know
4: uh, so,
2: character he, yeah he- he's a character who chose evil repeatedly
4: over and over again. Yeah, and you, you and I enjoy a good star Wars redemption story. And we have some great ones to dive into. So, uh, great stuff. Lanky.
2: Yeah, absolutely. We'll move on to our next question from Alejo. Alejo says, uh, what are some of the biggest, what if in star Wars that you wonder about? It could be something within the story, uh, and or a real-life what-if. I constantly wonder if Toshiro Mufuni uh, did play Obi-Wan. So, Ken, where does your mind go? Do you go into the actual story of a what-if from the story or more of a, uh, like Alejo was mentioning, a what-if in real life?
4: I think because, this, and I also saw a couple folks and, and folks uh, we know in this industry uh, who are who just learned the Mufuni story. Like, uh, that's part of the kind of making of Star Wars legend, too. That's what George wanted. And that would have changed a lot would have changed a lot in terms of casted and uh, the look and feel of Star Wars. Um, so, uh, and that's something that, you know, I obviously love Guinness and, and, and you, you and uh, McGregor. I, I obviously love that, um, goes without saying. But that's that's a delicious... What if? And, and it's great that uh, new generation, not even new generations, but that, that kind of inf- information can kind of get a new life again. So I think because of that, I didn't go into the story too much, Joseph, with this question. And I went into behind the scenes stuff. And I got to say, I think about this a lot, a lot. I don't know the, exactly what the answer of if it had happened, but I think of Ron Howard directing episode one, which mm. is, if you believe certain tales was something that was on the table to what degree, we don't know. Was it a passing conversation or was it, uh, you know, something that went down the, the path of negotiations that didn't happen? And George just felt, no, I want, I want to uh, really put my vision out there. I think about that a lot. You and I love the prequels. You and I have come to a great spot on the prequels. And I love Phantom Menace. I think I love it more and more uh, in, in a way. Uh, and it might just be because of Rats Tyrell, to be honest. But... <laughs> No doubt. And and George will tell you, I wrote the dialogue in a certain way. The actors are acting in a certain way. It's its own nostalgia to some of the serial stuff. And I don't disagree with George at all in that because who am I to disagree with the man in flannel? But without a doubt, on record, you j- listened to any interview with Harrison Ford, Gary Fisher, Mark Hamill. George and communicating with humans. Not his favorite thing on set. All right. <laughs> uh, and uh, the faster, and more intense becomes a joke for a reason. And Ron Howard, I, 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 I he's a actor's director. I think, uh, Bryce Dallas Howard, I think his daughters, but not only, uh, keeping, uh, in that, uh, in that path, but I think gonna eventually surpass him. I really believe there will be a point in that time where you'll look back and go kids, do you know, Bryce Dallas Howard was, it was an actor too much like <laughs> her father. Um, but I think you and I grew up with Happy Days, uh, <laughs> Ron Howard, a different feel for us. He, he's directing Splash now. Um, I, I, just, I, just, I just, him with working with the actors, I just wonder, I don't, I'm not saying it's better, and I'm just, I just wonder what that would have made that movie feel like.
2: Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm with that with you on that. I love the prequels to Death. I love uh, you know a lot of the the visuals. I love the uh, ideas behind the prequels. I still do think that there are some moments that uh, come across is uh, flat, and and I know Lucas sometimes says, "Yeah, I know I wanted it that way." Whether or not you know that's true, I think the uh, some some moments that come off a little uh, flat or uh, or awkward um, are a barrier for people for as many people as possible to see the true beauty uh, the ideas of the prequels and i think if i think you could take the the exact same script every every line of dialogue um and with an actor who is more invested in talking or with a director who's more invested in talking to the actors maybe Maybe something would be lost in that sort of serial feel that we've all gotten used to, but maybe it would open up everything else that is beautiful about the prequels to more people because they wouldn't get stuck on that real surface level of I don't like the way the kid said yippee, you know? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And that, that
4: just might be it. So there you go. That's my big what if.
2: That's, a, that's such a fascinating one. Um, I think for me in story, we've talked about a lot of these uh, in, in recent times, but I, I, my mind wanders to what if Leia makes it to Obi-Wan? you know, and, and I've got various opinions on what Obi-Wan would do. I think it would put him in a really interesting spot because I think he truly did had conviction that Luke was the chosen one. I don't think he would have turned down helping Leia. I think he wanted to wait until Luke, came to him Mm -hmm. in some form or fashion that the force seemed to dictate it. But I think he'd have a real hard time leaving the planet without Luke. So I think that would be a real fun, uh, what if, if Leia made it to Obi-Wan, um, in terms of real life stuff, this is one that just jumped into my head, perhaps controversial uh, because it's about Star Wars. So it's controversial no matter what. Um, I think, Er I think Irvin Kirshner did just such an amazing job on Empire Strikes Back of just bringing out the soul of that movie, I sometimes wonder what would return of the Jedi look like if Irvin Kirshner had directed it. Um, and,
4: yeah.
2: you know, cause I think uh, I love return of the Jedi. I know it's a lot of people's favorites for lots of reasons. Some of my very favorite moments in all of star Wars are in return of the Jedi, but every once in a while there's, there's like an acting choice uh, that mm-hmm. could maybe be more soulful uh, in, in more of that kind of empire strikes back feel. You know, uh, that Kirshner, again, was a real a director who really, really, really spent a lot of time with the actors trying to find, you know, this kind of next level of emotional truth, those lingering shots of, uh, you know, Leia looking at the door of Echo Base closing or Han looking at Luke as he walks away and just pulls out so much emotion from uh, just silent shots. Every once in a while, I wonder, you know, what, what would the movie Return of the Jedi be like if it if it had that sort of direction?
4: I, yeah, you know what? I, 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 I that's a great choice. And, and yeah, the story choice, uh, Leia showing up for to Kenobi. Uh, you know, I, I mean, what ifs always change the story, obviously butterfly effect and whatnot, but that's a, that's a giant one. That's a, cause, cause I want to know what Obi-Wan like. All right, buddy, what are you going to do now? <laughs> <laughs> you went out there guarding the boy. Now the girl showed up. What are you going to do now? Um, interesting stuff. But as far as Kirshner, yeah, nothing, take nothing away from the late Richard Marquand. Uh, he was in a tough spot. Uh, you know, uh, stepping in there, George, without a doubt, uh, uh, by his own admission, micromanager, looking over shoulders and and, and very hard probably to direct in that uh, circumstance, even if it was a good circumstance and not one full of uh, fighting or tension or anything like that. I, I think it was. But uh, yeah, Kirshner being uh, Lucas's old teacher, uh, one of his teachers and mentors at USC, like having the ability to push back. You get the sense that, again, no tension or fighting, but just like Kirshner was like, cool, you want me to direct Empire? I will direct it. I'll do it. Let me do it. Let me do my smooching and all those things. As great, sweet interviews he gives. I think there would have been some. Uh, I think you're right. Some little more, little more depth pulled out of some of uh, the quieter scenes. Absolutely, think so.
2: That's a yeah. That's, that's a great way to say it. A little bit more depth pulled out of some of the the quieter scenes. Uh, and this is not, my friends, an uh, attack on Return of the Jedi. There are beautiful, great uh, moments throughout Return of the Jedi, and it is a lot of people's favorite for a reason. Yeah, absolutely, uh,
4: and uh, I'm 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 with you too, as Luke like said.
2: <laughs> Excellent, a great question, Alejo. We'll move on to our questions uh, from our listeners on uh, Patreon, uh, our patrons on Patreon. The first one comes from Laura Martin. This is kind of a different uh, approach of a question, but I figured why not tackle it. Laura says, scene is how both of you are writers. What would you like to write for Star Wars if given a chance? A novel, a script, an anthology of some sort, or a technical guide? What storyline or character?" Character study would you like to explore uh ken w- where do you go with this well
4: this is i uh, this uh, how do this is um yeah we got to be careful uh look you and i've been in this uh business for a bit now um, working on things and with various degrees of success and failures, uh, <laughs> more failures than, than successes that's how the business works So this is actually a great question that I get excited about, but I I will admit to keeping some cards close to the vest here. I have mentioned before, though, I am obsessed. I think some of my skills are, or an interest, maybe not even skills. I won't say skills. My interests are in the history of Star Wars. Yes, I love the themes and the moments, and that excites me. Uh, Force Center and you, Joseph, have, have helped that just flame burn brighter inside me as a Star Wars fan, but I love, I do love history, putting it all together putting the moments together and and just what can you learn about this world by its past and by its events and even things, you know, and watched on screen, just putting it down in a bigger picture. So I've, I'm interested, I think because I'm a documentary fan, I love weird docs and I love sports documentaries. I love looking back. uh, You know, if you want to, you know, any Anytime there's a documentary on Saturday Night Live, even though I know every story that's ever told about <laughs> 75 and 76 and some of my favorite books to read, um, I'm fascinated by that. And could you apply that to not the behind the scenes of the making of Star Wars, but actually in story, telling, telling the tale. And I've mentioned before, but like George R. R. Martin's done with his own work, uh, Fire and Blood is I love Fire and Blood. And a lot of people didn't. I love it because it's a history book of a, it's a fictitious history book and it worked for me and it's exciting and it helps you analyze the big themes and the characters even more. So that's something, a direction I would go in.
2: Yeah, man, this is so great that this question, uh, we picked this question for this episode that you started by talking about spinal taps. So now I'm just imagining you making the, uh, the Max Rebo version of spinal tap. <laughs>
4: Oh, there you go. Hold
2: on. Let me getting read. lost in Max Riebel getting lost in the tunnels under Java's Palace. <laughs> trying to get uh, up there. Moss Isley! <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, no, I know exactly uh what you're saying. I think that is such a an interesting and rich perspective on Star Wars. And it's something that's kind of been dabbled at the in the uh in books and in, in comics of meeting uh, journalists and you know uh actors and and people who kind of create uh art within the world of star wars and that would be really fascinating to see a a behind the scenes documentary of some big public event uh that is famous uh, in in the world of star wars is such a great and interesting idea um yeah this question is it's a really interesting one um to approach because the knee-jerk response is just like yes (laughs) of course and here are all of my star wars ideas um and we do get a lot of questions about like, well, pitch us this. And, and sometimes uh, I think we both get excited and we kind of start laying out a pitch on the podcast. Um, mm-hmm. But it is a thing to be uh, gentle about uh, because uh, for myself, I would, I would absolutely love uh, to write a star Wars thing. And, and that is, you know, a, a goal that, that would be a wonderful thing to happen. I would love for that to happen uh, right now where I am in my career. I talk about it a little bit, uh, but not a lot because there's only so much that I can say and there's only so much to be said, but you know, I am fighting the, the good fight here in Hollywood, uh, you know, done some writing for that, uh, animated show on adult swim. I've got, uh, you know, other things that I am actively pitching. I have movie scripts that are actively being read and one always hopes that you'll, uh, you'll reach a level of success mm-hmm. that you could get an opportunity. Um, And I would I would take an opportunity. Laura asks about, you know, what what medium we would like to write as well as uh, what story. Mm -hmm. I'd be happy to write any medium of Star Wars. uh, But right now in my career, what I'm really working on is, you know, television and film and in screenwriting. And I would love that opportunity. Uh, And sometimes I have to check myself on the podcast because, Mm
4: -hmm.
2: you know, in an ideal world. Uh, there's an opportunity to actually be in an office making this pitch, <laughs> yeah. and I have to be careful to, to not be like, "Yeah, you know, I've I've talked about it 72 times on my podcast." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but to answer uh, Laura's question, um, I really, really, uh, I love the Jedi, and I I think there are so many stories about different individual Jedi and how they relate to the bigger philosophy of the Jedi and therefore the philosophy of star Wars. And yet still each one of them is their own unique character with their own unique background, their own unique relationships. It's what I'm so excited about in uh, the high Republic. So mm. I think that's the kind of uh, uh, story that I would like to tell. Um, the other thing being, I, I have mentioned this on the show before of, uh, I did do some work on an, a stage play for Obi Wan Kenobi's perspective. Um, that was something that uh, James Arnold Taylor was interested in pursuing, and and I worked on it. and It was great fun. It was really, really fun to actually just get in and and dabble in the world of Star Wars. Right now, there's there's no way uh, forward uh, for that project, but it it did whet my appetite for like, ooh, <laughs> yeah. it's fun to it's fun to roll up your sleeves and get in there.
4: Mm, yeah, we'd love to roll up our sleeves and get in there.
2: <laughs> yeah yeah uh which is not to take away from how much we just love being fans and talking about star wars as well uh like many things in life it requires balance right ken
4: yeah look i grew up loving disneyland i never wanted a job there i'll just <laughs> say that because um, that's just sometimes the way life is uh you know i love pro wrestling until you run a locker room
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes yes uh And honestly, I think there it's been great to do the podcast and to we get questions about it. We talk about it of to make Star Wars a part of our our life uh, in in this way of like, you know, we watch it as fans. But then also like we got to prep. We got to take notes. We're going to talk about the podcast. We got to be prepared for this. We got to do our our homework and and then still have those anchors where you never forget your fan, never lose your joy. For uh, the thing and and how it entered your life uh, when you were a kid, hundred percent, yeah. So we're gonna move on to our final question. Uh, thank you so much for asking que- uh, that question, Laura. It is great to uh, address it openly. And our final question is from Andrew McNab. Andrew says, "Bright Suns, hope this finds you safe, well, and happy. What is your Venn diagram of thoughts, feelings, and hopes about the similarities and differences between Luke in the Last Jedi?" and Obi-Wan in his forthcoming show. Both characters have had to deal with losing an apprentice to the dark side and while we already have a window into Luke's grief, I was wondering how you think their different experiences and personalities will affect how they each deal with a similar trauma. Thank you kindly. Great mm. Obi-Wan question, Andrew. Ken, what are your thoughts on that?
4: Um, I th- uh, He mentioned grief, so there, there's kind of the connection, but I think there is uh, um, you know... I don't say there's a stoicism to, to Obi-Wan. He's a very sassy, passionate man at times. I, I just think he comes to a better spot of have, finding the way to move forward. And so that's what I look at. their different experiences. He's seen successes, Luke's successes, uh, seen successes within the Jedi order. Luke and the last Jedi, we're going to maybe find out more. It was all on his own, you know, even though he maybe had some force Ghost whispering in his ear. Uh, so there's just a different background knowing of hey when it goes bad you know how to get back to good if that makes any sense uh for me um so that's that's kind of where i see see it i know um i know you and i both hope the obi-wan series will deal with obi-wan coming to a better place
3: Mm -hmm. so
4: i'm fascinated by the fact that at one point he thinks I'm lost in the failure. I can't have this again. Maybe uh, he rejects the idea of, yeah, I'll protect Luke. I don't want anything to happen to that poor kid, but I don't want to teach him. Maybe he has some of that connection too. Um, And then that he just knows the textbook way of how to go forward, I guess, is what I'm trying to say.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting because they, I I think that is so key if they come from such a different perspective of Obi-Wan growing up in the order and every once in a while questioning or pushing back but for the yeah. most part being like, "What? No, the Jedi order's been around forever. They're they're doing things right. I'm trying to listen. I'm trying to be a a good Jedi knight. I'm trying to be a good Jedi master." And then it all falls apart around him these, you know, this you, you know, years and years of tradition. And then Luke is going around trying to figure out old tradition merge it with new tradition build something new that also respects the old it's those are very different uh, positions i think the big picture thing for me is i I love how much luke's um mistakes are based on this well-intentioned obsession with mastery you know i've talked about it before on you know in empire strikes back where that's where yoda is really like you know it takes the most serious mind you have to concentrate you can't run off you can't be cocky um and, and, and you can't want adventure. And Luke really tries to master those things. And in that one moment, he has, to me, an understandable uh, just split second of he he sees all the horror that uh, Ben Solo is going to bring is Kylo Ren and ignites the blade for just a second. And then immediately goes, of course not, of course not, and turns it off. And it's that one moment where he failed in his mastery and he loses everything because of it. And I think Luke is just so hard on himself of like, yeah, absolutely. He probably should have found a, a way to get through to Ben, mm-hmm. you know, sooner when he saw the darkness, you know, in, in his training in, in flashes uh, and all that. But it is just this 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 one moment where he failed at being a master and it just destroys him. Uh Whereas Obi-Wan has just this I think this much more complex like uh relationship with the Jedi Order and a, a more complex relationship with Anakin and I think Obi-Wan has a real complex guilt because he can feel guilty both ways because mm-hmm. he he cut his friend down and almost killed him but didn't mm-hmm. and I, I think that there's a good possibility that, that the Kenobi show would wrestle with that if they don't I'll accept that um, and accept the story that the storytellers choose to tell me but I I really think there's a power in I cut him down, but I can't bring myself to just end him. And yeah. so he, so Obi-Wan is left feeling guilty about Anakin's fall and that, and that he couldn't save him. And then also he couldn't bring himself to fully stop the threat of Vader either. Uh, so I think he's got a, a different kind of guilt to wrestle with. And then the last thing I'll say is, you know, as much as Obi-Wan, uh, preaches patience, and we get to see him be patient in contrast to Anakin being really rash in lots of the prequels and Clone Wars storytelling. Obi-Wan is also Mr. Spring the Trap. <laughs> <laughs> Obi-Wan is the is Mr., you know, let me go to the bar and make myself a target. He yeah. He's restless. That that part of him that's hopping up and down, ready to fight uh, Darth Maul and Phantom Menace, uh, you know, behind the laser gate, I don't think that part of him ever goes away. And I think, you know, Luke is really you know really just wants to be done wants to wash his hands of it i think obi-wan is like on tatooine is like is restless of like well i'm here on this mission to watch over the kid and maybe train him okay owen doesn't want me to train him and i need to respect that vader's out there i'm wrestling with all that and i think again it might be a motivation of the kenobi series of him being a little bit more restless and going i'm going to try yeah. to to fix this mistake and then somehow in that story coming to a more peaceful place and accepting that I, I have to, you know, accept my my mistakes. I can't save Anakin, but I can be here for Luke and I'm gonna patiently wait for him.
4: The restless bouncing of, of Kenobi is the subtitle for the series I heard. I got it under authority. <laughs> Scoop.
2: Scoop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh Restless Bouncing. I think that is just gonna drive subscribers to Disney Plus like mad.
4: Yeah, no, that's great because I I think, you know, it's it's always interesting to see, and and this gets um thrown in my face. Sometimes I'll bring it up, uh, even just jokingly uh, with grace or something like that. Of just like, you know, Qui-Gon, be like Qui-Gon, go to your knees and take a deep breath and meditate. It's like, well, yeah, he died. <laughs> Kenobi, Kenobi won. And it's like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think that's a part of Kenobi. You're so right. It is. He, he, he had the, you know, relationship with Satine, which is, uh, about passion and, and attachment and some things he's uh, trained against. And so I think there's constant battle of, of, Pushing down some natural instincts, uh, which is not a bad thing in life, but it can also be a dangerous thing, and so that's that's part of the part of the battle with Kenobi.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'm I'm so excited uh, for that show because I think there's so much to explore, and I think Andrew's uh, question really taps into that. And, and uh, I think what's great about Andrew's question and making these comparisons between Obi Wan. And Luke is not only is this Obi-Wan show going to be really interesting and insightful for Kenobi fans, but I think it's going to have some great Star Wars poetry that's going to speak to The Last Jedi and speak to Yoda's uh, choices to be on Dagobah and all that kind of stuff. So I'm so excited for it. Uh, Any final thoughts on that one, Ken? No, great stuff from Andrew. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you to everyone for our questions. Andrew, Laura, Alejo and Lanky, all great Star Wars questions.
4: Yes, and if you have a question for us, you can find the way to get to us. It's on our Twitter page. It's pinned to the top uh, four center pod on Twitter. You can like our Instagram page, like our Facebook page at four center podcast. And of course, if you want to uh, ask us questions, you can support on Patreon at patreon.com slash center, find the tier that best suits your needs and desires to support the show directly Podcasts available in a lot of spots, including anchor IR radio, Apple podcast, and now Amazon music. We have merch available at tpubliccom slash user slash Force center. Got our own stuff going on as well. You can follow me at Ken Knapsack or go to kennapsock.com. We also like to highlight charities, but uh, for right now, I'll just say go to the charity spotlight tab on my website. A lot of things, me, friends, or listeners of the Napsock Files have uh, recommended as different charities to choose from. Uh, Joseph.
2: Yeah, you can find me Twitter and Instagram at Joseph Scrimshaw, and you can check out my website, com for lots of other comedy adventures. Uh, on New Year's Eve, I'm doing an online show with my friends, The Double Click. So if you want some New Year's Eve comedy music, uh, we're going to play a fun comedy role playing game, all sorts of just having a little bit of fun uh, at the end of a challenging year. You can find that ticket link on my website, com.
4: Do it, my friends. Do it. Hey, big deep dive this week. More about Luke. Jedi's, the Jedi way, hubris. Oh, well, there's going to be a lot of discussions of hubris. It's going to be fun, so uh, pay attention to that one coming your way. We want to give a special shout-out to Jennifer Landa. You can follow Jen online and all the places as well. Uh, we appreciate her taking the time out of her uh, busy schedule in life to comment on some of the big things to help us look back. So, thank you, Jen. We'll see you soon. So, for Cassie Andor and the volume, this has been